Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 23rd of February. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined by CEC Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, who is threatened by Jeremy Corbyn's idea of a financial system that serves the nation? And the government is lying. Bail-in will steal deposits. Stop them with Glass-Steagall. So first, who is threatened by Jeremy Corbyn's idea of a financial system that serves the nation? So Craig, we're going to leave Australia for a little bit today. We've been really going after this bail-in question. We're not changing the, the uh, subject though because it really is the same subject. Um, with the bail-in passing in Australia this week and the way it passed, you can forgive people for being you know, um, pessimistic. Well, they're actually pretty angry too, Robert, because of the way it was done. No, exactly. Angry at the way it was done, and we'll show some footage, but, but also pessimistic. You know, can we ever beat the bankers, right? Well, that is the wrong way of looking at it. That's why we want to talk about Jeremy Corbyn today. Have a look at the footage. We'll put some images up of the House of Representatives and the Senate when they passed and debated bail-in, right, and voted on it, with just, just on the voices. Empty, right? That's what people are angry at. Right? And actually, incidentally, I'll talk about this more later, it, it, what they did is technically legal, right? turns out um, the quorum idea didn't, uh, didn't apply. But it's easy to miss the point. They had to do it that way. They had to keep the whole thing as under wraps as possible to pass it. It wouldn't have passed otherwise. Yeah, and you actually found out that even a number of the MPs were hoodwinked by this process. Absolutely. They, they didn't know that this was actually taking place. They didn't know that this law was being passed at the time. They were actually shocked to find out that their own parties had all bring them because their processes, their formal processes, were unmarked. Even in the party rooms, that's right. The normal procedures, they were quite shocked. Oh, that didn't happen, right? So you could look at it, and that's one. the, the point is you could say, okay, this is a, a show of strength by the bankers and, and their political minions, or you could realise, well, hang on, they're desperate. They, they've got to try to keep up a financial system, Craig. This is, bail-in is their insurance. Why right? wasn't this openly discussed? Robert? Exactly. I mean, why, why are they trying to hide? Why are they trying to force this through under the carpet, so to speak, hidden from view? What are they, trying to, what are they worried about? That's the point. They're worried about the public, right? And that's why, um, you know, we need to understand that. It's up to us to know, to get that sniff of blood, if you will. And I think, Robbie, go back to what we've, our viewers here know, right? We mobilised on this issue of bail-in. Now, they, was, they tried to sneak in back in August this legislation that we've been talking about since 2013, what we call the omnibus legislation. If you go back to 2013, we caught whiff of the fact that they intended to bring legislation into Australia to bring in bail-in. Yeah. We saw it. You know, the financial stability you know, blew the whistle and said there was legislation in train for bail-in. Now, we looked everywhere for that legislation. It finally popped up in August. It wasn't supposed to have been no. noticed. It came up, we, we found it. A member of ours here in the office found it on the Friday Happened afternoon. Happened noticed it on a Friday afternoon. Right. Yeah. We mobilised. Now, the committee, the Senate Economics Legislative Committee, usually gets about 35 submissions. We mobilised, and they got over 1,000, they said. And we, probably closer to 2,000. We know from, from yeah. a member of the committee that was actually closer to, or over 2,000, possibly even higher. So we put the public focus on the fact that this issue was a number one concern for a large majority of, of Australians. And if the media wasn't rigged, Craig, 
it would have been the number one political issue. But everything that all the exposure put on it was generated out of this office. As we're going, right? through, as this Without, is going the media through the, blackout, as this is going through Parliament, of course, we got the Barnaby Joyce issue. Of course, mass massive coverage on that. Whereas this is much more yep, important. Yep. So, so the point I'm trying to make is: look, um, yes, they passed it, right? But it's what you call yes. a pyrrhic victory, uh, where you can win a battle that actually ends up making you lose the war because people are waking up. We've, we've noticed in terms of the CEC's exposure on the internet, it's, we've gone viral, right? It's, it's, it's quite, people are suddenly taking stock. This is serious. Um, and we need to sort of internalise that and go, okay, let's, let's take that fact that we have the upper hand here. If, we can, if the exposure escalates, if we can escalate our, our ability to bring pressure to bear on backbench members of parliament, etc., we can hold them to account and we can force them to break ranks with their own parties. Because just before I give some more details, I want to just look at our last new citizen here, the headline, uh, Australian uh, Alert Service, sorry, which people can call in for a free copy if they want. Um, the headline, bail-in means a crash is coming. Break up the banks now. And we, we list there a number of headlines that just erupted in the last week or so, including from none other than John Hewson, the former Liberal leader, in the 15 February Sydney Morning Herald. It was headlined, when the next financial crash hits, there will be little the Reserve Bank can do about it, right? And there's lots of these types of warnings happening, including from William White and the BIS. So this is happening, and as, as our elected officials um, face that reality, they will have to choose between serving discredited party leaderships and staying towing their line, or serving the people who put them there. In other right? words, serving the banks, Robbie, or serving the exactly, people. Exactly, Craig. So let me put it in this, these terms. What Australia needs, and we and the public needs to create it, is a Jeremy Corbyn. What is, what is, what, why is that important? Jeremy Corbyn is the British financial oligarchy's greatest fear. Right? He's not beholden to them in any way. He rose to the leadership of the party, not by doing deals, but because finally, six or seven years after the crash and after austerity, etc., the public was broken and they recognised that this guy who'd been saying the same thing for 30 years against the City of London was right. And they, 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 they um, fell in behind him in droves and that's why he's now the leader of the opposition. Nobody like him, Craig, has ever come close to being in government before in the UK. Nobody, right? Now I want to read a part of a speech that he just gave a couple of days ago. It was on the 20th of February. And just for the sake of the, the show, well, what we'll do is I'll read this speech and then we'll take a break and come back and discuss it, right? So um, he was addressing the Manufacturers Conference, called, uh, the Manufacturers Organisation called the EEF in the UK. So this is on the 20th of February. He gave a speech and he ended it in these terms. We need a fundamental rethink of whom finance should serve and how it should be regulated. There can be no rebalancing of our distorted, sluggish and unequal economy without taking on the unfettered power of finance. For 40 years, deregulated finance has progressively become more powerful. Its dominance over industry, obvious and destructive. Its control of politics, pernicious and undemocratic. The size and power of finance created a generation of politicians who thought the City of London could power the whole economy. Out of control financial wizardry and gambling were left barely regulated, 
while the real economies in once strong industrial areas were put into managed decline. The welfare state was left to pick up the slack with sticking plaster redistribution to the people and places held back by the finance-led boom of predominantly the southeast of England, i.e. London. For a generation instead of finance-serving industry, politicians have served finance. We've seen where that ends, the productive economy, our public services and people's lives being held hostage by a small number of too big to fail banks and financial institutions. No more. The next Labor government will be the first in 40 years to stand up for the real economy. We will take decisive action to make finance the servant of industry, not the masters of all. And I must, I'll just say quickly, um, when he says that, his specific policies to do that include Glass-Steagall, separating the banks, and a national investment bank that is publicly owned that can put money into those areas. Robbie, right? when, I, when I start hearing that, what I hear is what the old Labor Party in this country used to be when exactly. they're talking about the money power. And we've, we've written a lot about this in our history documents. And when you understand the money power, this is what Jeremy Corbyn is taking exactly. on. And that, exactly. Exactly. He actually learned it you know, in a, in a, in a long-term way from what Old Labor did here. Let's take a quick break. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing who is threatened by Jeremy Corbyn's idea of a financial system that serves the nation. And before the break, Craig, we read uh, that segment of Corbyn's recent speech on that, where he said the financial system must serve the nation, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. right? And the media in the UK is flipping out about it. Um, but here's the question. Who could possibly be threatened by that concept, right? Unless you're a banker in charge of the financial system. Well, particularly, the, you know, for the last 40 years, as Jeremy said, a banker that has had a financial system of pure speculation, that that created the first global financial crisis, which hasn't been fixed. We're heading for the second one, as John Hewson has said. And this one, with all exactly. the bubbles that have been created, is going to be far, far worse. And the bankers are in the hot seat. They want to continue to prop up this thing without any sort of fundamental re reform. You can't solve this problem without and dealing with fundamental issues. No, exactly. What people have to understand about the bankers, especially in the UK but around the world, um, the City of London, which is this one square mile where the banking um, sector is concentrated, it's actually the heart of the British establishment, right? The yeah. British financial oligarchy. Um, because modern Britain, by their own, by the, their leaders, their elites' own terms, is we are a modern financial empire, right? That's how they see themselves, and that's the heart of it. So when Corbyn says this, he's going after the power base in the United Kingdom, right? And that, and it's, and it really is declaring war on them. And as I said before, but what he said is what he said his entire career, up until now, the establishment's been able to ignore him for 30 years, but they can't ignore him because he has the people behind him. So what happens is in the UK, Craig, and you, you know, if you, if you want proof, viewers, go look it up on the internet. Jeremy Corbyn cops the worst press of any politician in the world, in the history of the world. The media in the UK is the most feral on earth. They just make stuff up all the time. And they call him front page headlines. He's a terrorist. He's a communist. He's a threat to Britain. Everything outrageous they can think of. Now, once upon a time, this would have crushed any normal person. It only makes him stronger because it's the media that have got no credibility, right? The public hate them. They see right through it. But I just want to give an example of the latest one. They've made up a story 
that in the 1980s, Jeremy Corbyn sold British speak secrets to a Czech spy. Well, first of all, he didn't have any secrets to sell because he was a lowly backbencher who was, didn't know anything. But this is, oh, he's a traitor. And they've come out, um, the government ministers have called him a traitor. Um, they've compared him to Kim Philby, right? The famous guy who defected to the, the double agent who defected in, in the 1950s. Yet it's all made up. The Czech and German governments who have access to the old communist archives in those countries, have all confirmed it isn't true. Well, anyway, I want to play two clips now. Um, first one is Andrew Neil from the BBC. Now, Andrew Neil used to be Rupert Murdoch's old lieutenant, who quit with, who, maybe this is why he's done such a good interview here, because he broke with Murdoch and, and blew a whistle on a, how undemocratic he was. Um, so he is taking on a government minister, the, the Brexit minister, Steve Baker. Listen to, listen to, these, to this quick segment of it. Um, Listen to how Baker described Corbyn's ideas, which is the ideas we've just discussed of finance serving the people. Listen to that description, but then also listen to what, um, how the interview goes. The Defence Secretary says Mr Corbyn has, quote, betrayed his country. In what way? Well, the Defence Secretary's chosen his own words. I mean, the point for me about this debacle... No, has is he that betrayed we believe... his country? Well, Jeremy Corbyn, I think, is a grave danger to this country, but that's because Has of the... Has he betrayed the uh, country? That's because of the, the ideas in which he believes and what that would mean well, that, for our well, economy that, and that, our that's society. People have all sorts of ideas. But you're a defence secretary. Our defence secretary, the defence secretary of this government, of our government, has said the leader of Her Majesty's opposition has betrayed his country. In what way has he betrayed his country? Well, that it really is a question for Gavin Williamson. That's not the so word. So you don't agree with it? Well, I'm not, I'm not really commenting on the... Uh, well, do you think the, he's betrayed the country? I think that Jeremy Corbyn is a grave danger to our country. But that's a political it, point. That's a different... Of course you do. Everybody in one party thinks the other party's a grave danger. Betrayal is an entirely different matter. That's a serious accusation. I just point out that a senior figure of the Czech Republic Defence Ministry says Sarkozy, who is the former Czech spy, it's his real name, is a liar. That's the exact word. Well, I would put it to you, it's clearly a lie on any evidence so far available to us that Mr Corbyn sold British secrets to the communists. Agreed? Uh, I've got no evidence to make a judgment. So to claim way. so question, would be a lie. Well, the question's been asked. The question should be answered. Uh, but it's not for me to sit here on your programme inventing evidence and reaching a conclusion myself. It's not something I'm willing to you, do. You leave that to your Tory colleagues. Yeah, so, um, you know, even the BBC is saying to its other media, look, this, and they're no good, right? This is, this, you just made this stuff up. This is garbage, absolute garbage. And they've had to come on, and Andrew Neil did a good job in that interview and made them look like absolute idiots. Um, but here's, more, here's what's more important. Jeremy Corbyn, after all, is the leader. He's the guy in the firing line of this. And sometimes you wonder, how can a human being cop this all the time? Well, you're going to see right now, it has only made him stronger. And I'm going to play you the video statement he put out, and it has infuriated his enemies, but more importantly, it has terrified his enemies. What's this? In the last few days, the Sun, the Mail, the Telegraph, the Express have all gone a little bit James Bond. They found a former Czechoslovakian spy whose claims are increasingly wild and entirely false. He seems to believe I kept him informed about what Margaret Thatcher had for breakfast and says he was responsible for either Live Aid or the Mandela concert, or maybe both. It's easy to laugh, but something more serious is happening. 
publishing these ridiculous smears that have been refuted by Czech officials shows just how worried the media bosses are by the prospect of a Labour government. They're right to be. Labour will stand up to the powerful and corrupt and take the side of the many, not the few. A free press is essential for democracy. And we don't want to close it down. We want to open it up. At the moment, much of our press isn't very free at all. In fact, it's controlled by billionaire tax exiles who are determined to dodge paying their fair share for our vital public services. The general election showed the media barons are losing their influence and social media means their bad old habits are becoming less and less relevant. But instead of learning these lessons, they're continuing to resort to lies and smears. Their readers, you, all of us, deserve so much better. Well, we've got news for them. Change is coming. So, Craig, you can tell when the way Corbyn talks. He understands that his enemies in the establishment, although they are the establishment, they don't have all the power. And my question for you is, isn't the way they had to sneak through bail in here and it's all the underhanded stuff, that not that proof of the same thing here? They don't have all the power. Robert, absolutely. I mean, look, the, the fact is that we're, we're heading for the second global financial crisis. Everyone everywhere is warning of it. You look around at the, the nature of all the different bubbles. Everyone knows this thing is coming down. The solution is Glass-Steagall, which we'll talk about in the next segment. But also look at what's taking place in the US with Donald Trump. What if Donald Trump goes with Glass-Steagall? And that will as he campaigned on. As he campaigned on. That will completely transform the US banking system. That's why at this stage he hasn't gone with it. They've tried to contain him. They, the, the, the banking establishment worldwide is very close to very people close. being able, in positions of power, being able to say, turn on them and go, no, you guys are gone. And they're gone. Right? Yeah. Do, a, do a Franklin Roosevelt. All right, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about bail-in. Welcome back to the CUC Report. Finally, the government is lying. Bail-in will steal deposits. Stop them with Glass-Steagall. So, Craig, because of the public anger that you referred to earlier over bail-in, the Treasurer, Scott Morrison, has rushed out a letter for his Liberal MPs that they can use to reply, um, send to their constituents who are demanding to know why they passed this, right? And assure the public there's nothing to worry about. And we've looked at the letter. It's a pack of lies. So let's just go through. We can't go through all of it. Um, we did a full... We put out a press release going, responding to everything in it, so you can get it in the, the latest um, Australian Alert Service. Call in and get a copy. But we'll go through the, the, the sort of the, the, some of the main claims about it, and we'll just you know just respond. So the, the first thing that at, at Morrison claimed, quote: the bill was listed in the Senate order of business, as all bills are, and every senator had the opportunity to debate, move amendments, and vote on the bill if they so choose. Uh, Robbie, Is that true? No. We know that there was an amendment being put up to specifically exclude... That the government knew was going to be put exactly, up. Exactly, that there was going to be to exclude bail-in from the bill. So it was crystal Exclude clear. deposits from being bail-in, yeah. Yeah, exclude deposits from bail-in from the bill. But whilst that bill, that amendment was so-called being checked by the, the government's, government's lawyers, lawyers, 
the bill was passed. They rushed it through. And the, the parties that were putting it up were absolutely shocked that this would be done. Exactly. All right. Next one. The legislation does not implement any sort of bank bail-in policy that would allow the seizure of deposits in times of financial instability. Is that true? No, Robbie. If the, right through this entire legislation, you look at the legislation, what it doesn't do is specifically exclude deposits from bail-in. It's very vague. So it doesn't say deposits, but it's the, it's the way it's worded. Yeah, everything is very, very vague. So this is the way they do things, right? So when you get a crisis and people are in panic mode, Yep. They can say this, does this legislation allow us to do it? Oh, yes, it does, because it doesn't exclude it. So because it's so vague, this is where the danger is. And what we were trying to do, even though we don't with the whole thing in the first place, is say, okay, well, sp specifically exclude deposits. Be precise. And this is what the government did not, did want, not to want to do. Okay. This, is, this next which, which claim, is, Craig... Which, which proves their intention, by the way. Yeah. This next claim is the only slight, uh, slightly honest part of his letter. Quote, depositors are protected by the government's financial claims scheme, which guarantees deposits up to a cap of $250,000 per person. While the government retains discretion to activate the financial claims scheme when an institution fails, this discretion is underpinned by the government's ongoing commitment to protect depositor interests. You say? Yeah, well, that confirms exactly what Dr. Wilson Sy said, is that the financial claims scheme is not, hasn't been activated. The government has to activate it. It doesn't exist. So right yet. now there is no it guarantee exist. over anyone's deposits. Until a bank actually fails, and there's a, there's a fallacy here, Robbie, because they, everyone thinks of it's only going to be one bank that fails. But when you're talking about banks, you're talking about the same business model. In and all what the we're warned, banks, yep. What we're warning against is that you're not going to be talking about one bank you're going to be talking about a collapse of the entire system. So this has been, as we've warned about for many years, a complete fallacy. It's smoke and mirrors stuff. The danger lies in, in that people believe this, and this is why we need Glass-Steagall, the separation of the, of the normal necessary commercial banking system and the protection of deposits from all this risky stuff and the merchant banking, investment banking. We need a complete separation of the, these two aspects of banking in our system, well, which is Glass-Steagall. Exactly. Let, let me just deal with one more. Quote, the legislation further strengthens depositor protections by reforming and updating APRA's resolution powers and by amending the definition of prudential matters to explicitly reference protection of the interests of depositors. Now, th there's a difference, Craig, between protecting the interests of depositors and protecting deposits. And in New Zealand, which has this thing called a bail-in system there called Open Bank Resolution, which includes deposits, their Reserve Bank argues that them taking deposits, which they call, a, some countries call a haircut, taking some of their deposits is in the interests of the depositors. Because they say, this is the quote, um, uh, it's from a primary and open bank resolution they put out in 2011 in, the, in their bulletin, that taking deposits, quote, provided a way to minimise the disruption that would occur to customers and the wider economy from the closure of a bank, end quote. I think depositors might disagree with that idea of interest of, of you the think, depositors. I think, Maybe. they all think, I'm sure. So Craig, quickly, as you said, the only way to protect deposits is Glass-Steagall. We are putting out this legislation for a private member's bill to actually do that. That's the next stage of the fight, right? We're going to have that soon and people need to... That's, that's going to be the open debate, Robbie, because look, 
it, it's not rocket science to go back to a system where you protect people's deposits through structurally changing the system. It's a political fight. It's not rocket science, but I must say that the man who was with me last week in Canberra, Dr. Wilson Sy, who supports this, is a rocket scientist, actually. Yes, well, it's... Yeah. <laughs> so well, if you want that no kind of proof, right, it, no, it isn't rocket science. So what we're going to do, uh, sometime very soon in the next you know, uh, little period, you'll hear announcements from the CEC that we've produced draft legislation Everyone who supported this campaign did something. Stay involved and take that legislation to your Member of Parliament and demand they support it being introduced into Parliament. It will be the next major debate in this country. Exactly. So thanks for joining us, Craig. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, viewers, for tuning in. Tune in next week for more of the CEC Report.